But you know, the only true freedom can be had when we're living under God. Because you, you have to be willing to govern yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself, because there, there's always people who are going to be selfish or doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And the only way to keep them in control is through force. And so unless everybody decides to live according to God's morality, there will always be people who aren't free because they have to be kept in check by force. So all the bad people are, you know, that's why we give the government power to jail people if they are liars and thieves and murderers and people who do things that harm society. And so the best way to promote freedom is to promote Christ and spread Christianity. But I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about creation today. And uh, I wanted to start off, I, this is a, apparently, this is an actual four-year-old's description of creation. This is what he, he said. In the beginning, which was close to the start, there wasn't anything except God, darkness, and some gas. The Bible says the Lord thy God is one, but I think He has to be much older than that. Anyway, God made the world and then He said, give me some light, and somebody gave it to Him. He split an Adam and made Eve. Adam and Eve didn't wear any clothes, but they weren't embarrassed because God hadn't invented mirrors yet. Adam and Eve sinned by eating one bad apple and they were driven out of the Garden of Eden. I'm not sure what God drove them in because He hadn't invented cars either. Adam and Eve's son Cain hated his brother as long as he was able. And after a while, all of the first people died except Methuselah who lived to be like a million years old. So that's a four-year-old's depiction, and it's a nice, it's a complex <laughs> picture. But the actual creation, the real creation that's given to us in Scripture in Genesis, is it's so mind-blowing when you really start to investigate it, when you really start to think about what God did and how unfathomably complex He made things. And I'll start off with, uh, with the Scripture. Genesis 1 starts off, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty. That's a really interesting that when that word was. It comes from the, the original Hebrew. talks about the, the way you could interpret it. It almost sounds like the earth was made, was, was in the process of becoming made empty and darkness was over. So, so it's kind of like, God is, was building this matrix and then of, for everything to exist in. And then the earth was kind of brought in in this empty, shapeless void. And, and so anyway, the, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the, and so you always think, well, what is, this, what is the water? What is the earth? If it's shapeless and void, how can you have an earth if, there's, if it's empty and it has no shape? And what's that mean? And, uh, and we'll get to that. But, and, this, and it continues, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning marking the first day. So how do we know that God created everything? Well, if you want to know where something came from, there are people that you can talk to to figure out how it got there. If you're looking at a building, maybe you'll talk to the people who built it, the construction workers, or maybe the architect, the person who drew the plans. If you're looking at a, uh, 
a radio. Maybe you'll talk to the designer, the electrical engineer, the person who put it together in the factory. Or maybe, you know, if you want to find out where something came from, maybe you'll talk to an eyewitness who has actually saw the process of the house going up or the radio being built or the car being assembled in a factory. So there are people that you can talk to. And it's interesting when you think about it that wouldn't you know it, God was all of those things in the beginning. He was the designer. He was the one who conceived the plans for the universe and, and put it together. He's the one who constructed. He spoke things into being. He said, let there be. And things went from not existing to existing and becoming real. And God was the only eyewitness of creation. When He made the first things out of nothing, God was the one who saw it. And thank the Lord, He decided to write it down, to be a witness and to say, this is how I did it. I was the only one there, so let me tell you what I did. And so God reported to us what He did in the Bible. So so we trust that God created everything because the Bible tells us so. We can read His Word and see what He did. And, and why do we trust the Bible? Because it's God's Word. Now that might sound kind of like circular reasoning at first. You know that we trust in God because it's in His Word. We trust His Word because God said so. And, but that only sounds like circular reasoning if you don't understand the basis for all truth. If you think about what some people claim about the origins of the universe. You've probably heard of the Big Bang Theory, that out of nothing, out of nothingness, and, and there was no space, no time, no, it was just empty nothing, all of a sudden, bang, the universe appears and spreads out. And, and it's kind of interesting that the theory of, of the Big Bang says there is no, there's no center. It's just, everything just kind of appeared everywhere and started spreading out from this infinitesimal point. It started spreading out, but there's no center of the universe. It's all just kind of this even distribution. It's, it's a really weird kind of way to think so. But people, people subscribe to this thought that the universe just came out of nothing all by itself, that nothing caused it, that it just randomly, everything appeared out of nothing and spread out and is still spreading out. And that, uh, that it was all just random chance. That life sprang into being from non-life through random chance. That just the, the stars bumped into each other and, and traded chemicals and molecules and, and all of a sudden dirt came together and water came together and, and all of a sudden they aligned themselves into amino acids and proteins and things that are extremely complex when you get on a microscopic level. Amino acids are very complex and molecules are very complex and DNA is extremely complex code. I mean, it's, it's computer code that's written in biological substrate. And, and it's crazy to think that that stuff could ever form. And then all of a sudden that stuff just came alive, popped into, into living existence. And there are people who say that's just random chance. And you can see how much more sense a powerful, intelligent being makes who decided I'm going to create a universe and I'm going to put a plan down and I'm going to put my plan into action and I'm going to make it happen. And so, and we've got a universe that's ordered, it makes sense, it's measurable. And that seems to, I mean, at least in my mind, that makes a whole lot more sense than everything came from nothing for no reason. An intelligent, powerful being who said, let there be, 
as opposed to nothing created everything, an intelligent, powerful being makes a whole lot more sense. And so, and and if everything, if the universe was truly random, which is what a lot of people think, if it was just this complete random event where everything appeared and everything started to coalesce into the things that we know, you know, people and animals and rocks and trees and and planets and stars, if it was just random, if the universe was truly random, then you know what? In the next five seconds, it could all disappear again. That's what random is. We could all, before we leave here, turn into tomato plants or cars or you know whatever. That's what random is. You have no idea what's going to happen ten seconds from now. We could all just fall over dead for no reason. The, the church could turn into a pumpkin. I mean, it, that's what random universe causes. There is no order. There is no ability to know what's going to happen the next moment because randomness doesn't allow things. If, if, our, if, if it was all random, our brains would be absolutely unreliable as logical machines. We think, we process information, we reason according to laws. We call them laws of logic. They're, they're not really written laws, but they're there are things that make sense and things that don't make sense. And our brains think according to what makes sense. And if, if the universe was random, there would be no reliability to this brain in our heads. Because we would have no idea that the bag of chemicals that are in our head would work from one moment to the next. However, if a capable creator, someone who had the intelligence and the power to build an ordered system like the universe and to put things together so that this system could support life, so that it would, looks like it was designed to support life and, to, and not only to support life, but to encourage that life to explore and to discover the things around it. I, if you've ever read uh, things about how our universe, the, the, the position of the earth in our galaxy is is a perfect spot for us to sit so that it, we've kind of got this open view to the rest of the universe. If we were in the center of the galaxy, not only would our planet be awash in radiation that would kill us all, but you wouldn't be able to see anything because there's so much junk in the middle of the universe, you wouldn't be able to see the stars that were far away. But we're kind of on the edge of the Milky Way, not so far that we're away from all the energy so that we don't have the, the energy we need, but we're right in a good spot so that we're still part of the galaxy where we need to be but it opens up this view of the universe. It's like God said, I want to put the earth in a place where everything looks nice. And so it's like the universe was not only created to support life, but it was also created so that life could enjoy the view and, and explore and understand and seek to know why things are the way they are. And, and to make possible for people to look at the things around us and to reason and to understand and to use logic to figure things out. If there was a God who created things that way, then it would make sense that there are physical laws that are the same today and the same tomorrow and the same yesterday. So if you measure something, how much something weighs or how much energy comes out of something or those kinds of things, you can trust that tomorrow you'll get the same measurements if you measure the same thing. And the next day, and the next day. That's what a logical universe does. That's if a creator created it, it would make sense that we have physical laws and that we have laws of logic that we can think according to what makes sense and, and that we have functioning brains in our head so that we know that what we think isn't just nonsense, that what we touch and what we see and what we feel comports to reality. 
And so God started making things. And this is why we trust God. Because reality reveals Him. What we know is real shows that there was a crea- an ordered Creator, an intelligent Creator, a powerful Creator who was able to bring things into existence in such a way that we can see and understand it. So God started making these things and, and He said, let there be light. Which is really interesting. Because there was no sun. The sun doesn't come till later. There was no moon. There were no stars yet. Light as we know it is photons. It's this really interesting, it, it looks like a particle in some ways that you measure it, it looks like a wave in other ways that you measure it, but you've got these photons, these tiny wave-like particles, and they appear in an, when an atom, an atom has electrons that zing around it in orbit, and they, they're at different levels of orbit, so when an electron moves from a far orbit, this is the nucleus, to a closer orbit, it releases some energy. And that energy comes out as a photon. So all light comes out of this electron releasing energy. These photons that come out, and these photons come and they bounce off of things and they reveal colors and they show us what things look like. Look like and, and the electron gives up you know, energy, pop, and, and the photon appears. And, and it's, it's the only subatomic particle that we can see. It, uh, which is really interesting to think about. Actually, we, we technically can't see a photon. It's too small. But we can see, if you get enough photons that hit the back of your eye, we can see the result of the energy that those photons leave on our eyes. So you get enough photons coming from the sun or bouncing off the, the world around us, and they come to your eye. You can't actually see a photon because it's too small, but you can see the result of that energy hitting the backs of your eyes. It's an amazing thing that God designed and no reason that anything like that would ever happen randomly. But uh, we, it's interesting when you think about particle physics, talking about electrons and, and neutrons and protons and the, and the quarks that make those things up, we can't see atoms. They're too small. We can't see the things that atoms are made of. We definitely can't see subatomic particles like uh, you know, neutrons and protons because those things are smaller than a wavelength of light. So even if you had a a microscope that was powerful enough to see that small, you still wouldn't be able to see it because a a wavelength of light is bigger than a proton. And so it would just go around it. It wouldn't bounce back. You would not be able to... It's physically impossible to see a proton or a neutron or or a quark or an electron, those kinds of things. So we have to believe it by faith. We have to believe atomic theory, which is we've had for decades and decades, not because we can see it, but because we can see the results of what we measure. We can measure things that we, and, and come up with this theory that explains what we can measure, and we believe atomic theory based on results that we can measure, not by what we see, but what we can see the result of. Kind of like a certain creator that you've maybe heard of, that you can't actually see, but you can see the results of what this Creator has done. You can see it all around you. The heavens declare the glory of God and the, the skies show His handiwork. Isn't that amazing? That creation declares God. And, and reality continues to point to the God of the Bible. I mean, lots of people will come up with gods down through the ages. There's all sorts of, of idols and, and and demigods and gods that people have made up in their heads. But the, 
But when you look at reality, it comports with the Creator that Scripture talks about. And, and everything that we can measure shows forth the supreme power and knowledge that only the God of the Bible fulfills. That only the God of the Bible is described by. And, and, uh, and we don't know for sure what happened when God said, let there be light. You know, technically, because we didn't understand physics. Nobody was around then, but, but it doesn't talk about what was going on with atoms and molecules and things when God said, let there be light. But probably, it was the introduction of physics to an empty universe. That there was nothing, and then God said, let there be light. And all of a sudden, those laws of physics sprang into being. That, that God laid down this matrix of what we understand as space-time. And, and, and so from nothing was this, this sheet, this empty material that God could put the, the universe, the stuff of the universe on. We think of space as empty. You know, when you look out, there's lots of empty space between the stars. In fact, we think of atoms as mostly empty. That every, you know, that this is made up of atoms. But you know, an atom, a nucleus in the atom, which is the protons and neutrons, is tiny compared to the orbit of the electrons around it. If, if, you, if you could swell up an atom to the size of the world, the nucleus would be the size of a basketball. All the protons and neutrons would be a basketball in the center of where the Earth is. And the electrons would be orbiting around where our atmosphere is. And everything between that basketball nucleus and the electrons in the atmosphere would be empty space. There would be nothing. So this solid material is almost all emptiness. Isn't that weird to think about? I mean, it feels like it's there, but it's just empty. And what we understand of particle physics, I'm going to weigh you down with a lot of information this morning, but it's going to be fun. What we understand about the latest particle theory says that space, that all the empty space in the universe and all the space between the, the, the atoms and the electrons and the neutrons, all that empty space is really full of this fluctuating field of, of, of particles and energy. You know, all the particles that you hear about, you know, the, those colliders, those big electron colliders that you hear about, that those particles that they smash atoms and all those particles are flying out, that the space that we know of as empty is really full of these particles and the energy bonds that tie them together. And it's like this waving, circulating sea of stuff that you can't see and you can't, you know, measure because I mean you can measure the energy that's produced, but but it's kind of like the what we know as empty space is really a lot more like the ocean that's full of stuff. But a fish doesn't know it. A fish swims through, and it's just like to us, it's like the air. And and so there's the the universe is really an ocean of swirling particles and energy bonds because the the ocean is really water molecules. It's hydrogen and oxygen that have combined in such a way. And then all those molecules of hydrogen and oxygen have aligned and connected and made water. And so water, which just seems like a, a just a f- empty fluid, is really full of stuff. It's particles. It's, it's oxygen and hydrogen and all the stuff that's dissolved into that stuff. And that's the way the universe is, at least from what we understand about it in our current level of, of physics. And it gets even more mind-blowing when you think of how theories that declare all those particles don't really have substance like we think of things in real life. 
like this podium has substance. I can feel it. I can see it. I can stand on it if I wanted to. I'm, I'm not falling through the world because there's substance to it. There's stuff to it. And, and instead, this subatomic stuff is hard to nail down. When you get down to that level of quantum physics where you're measuring the tiny things, it's really hard to put a, a measurement on to, to, to say that there's really something there. It's like trying to measure where a, you know, you want to measure one particular water molecule in the ocean. How do you measure, how do you pick out one molecule of H2O out of the ocean? Because if you, if you can pick out one molecule and measure it, well, it's no longer part of the ocean, is it? And that's the way particle physics is. You can't measure it as part of the system. You have to remove it, so to speak, in order to measure that there's actually a particle there. And if you measure it as part of the whole system, it looks like it's not really there. It's this weird stuff that happens in quantum mechanics. And, and, it's, and it's, you, you can either measure where a particle is or how much energy it has. You can't measure both at the same time. It's, it's this... If you've ever heard of Schrodinger's cat, it's this mental exercise that talks about you put a cat in a box with a, a poisonous vial and there's a atomic stuff that's going to degrade over half-life and when it reaches a, the particular half-life, the poison vial will break open and kill the cat. And this box is sealed so you can't see inside of it. And there is no way to know if the cat is dead or alive until you open the box. It's a thought experiment. Nobody's actually done this to a cat. But it explains this weird view of quantum physics that you can't ever really know what a particle is, where it's at or what it's doing unless you kind of break it out of that system so that it's not and it's this that's what quantum physics is and that's why it's so exciting to to a lot of the people who who do it. Newtonian physics, like physics that we know it, is cause and effect, action and reaction. You push something, it moves. And that's Newtonian physics. But you get down to the subatomic level and quantum physics just doesn't seem to make sense in the real world. Because it seems like when you look at it, that gravity is not really that things have mass is what they seem to discover. You know, we think of us as having mass, as having substance, of having weight to us. But what they've found is that the reason that that you can stand on the ground and that you can you know, sit on your chair without falling through it is not because there's mass to it, but because there's electron resistance. You know, the same way you twist magnets opposite each other and they push, that's what's happening in your chair. That's why you don't fall the pew right fall through the pew right now because there's this electronic energy that's keeping you from going through it. That there's not really so much substance to the chair you're sitting in, but these electronic repulsion is keeping you from falling through. I mean, it's mind-boggling when you think about it. And, the, and that gravity that pulls, things, that, that pulls things through and that keeps things together, it's, it's not really that there's substance pulling, it's that these particles get in the way of each other and stop some... So some things like electrons seem to have zero mass and they fly through the universe at the speed of light and other things seem to kind of have a hard way working there they're the like a proton and electron they 
theoretically are the exact same size, or maybe they don't even have a size, but one moves really fast and the other one moves a lot slower because of the way they interact with this field of particles and energy. And, and it's, I mean, I could spend all day talking about the, the particle physics, but that's, we want to get beyond that. But there's this interesting inference with like the Higgs field of all these particles and, and the interference of particles moving and some not having any interference and moving at the speed of light and, and you know, the, having all that space between the, 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 the atoms, between like the electrons and the, and the, and the nucleus and, and things like mass and masslessness and where mass comes from and why you seem to have mass. And, and it's interesting how Einstein's theory comes into play that even if you could weigh the particles, which they've kind of done theoretically, that it seems like the reason that the mass that you have is not necessarily due to the, the weight of the protons and the neutrons in you, but because of their interference through this field. So anyway, so everything that we think of as physically real, everything that we think of as, as physical stuff, as, as objects that we touch and hold, as our bodies, as everything that we think of as real is really nothing more than vibrating energy. That it's these of existence, you know, like an electron, it's really interesting when you think about it. An electron, you've probably seen pictures of an atom where you've got that nucleus in the center and then you've got electrons that are orbiting in these nice pretty orbits and we've got that atomic symbol. Electrons don't go in this nice pretty circle. Electrons are here and there and here and there and here and they pop in and out of existence. And it's this quantum theory where it's all about based on probability. So most likely you'll find the electron in this orbit somewhere. And it might be here or here or here or here. It might be in the center of the atom. It might be off somewhere else. It's probability that measures it. And, and it's this really crazy stuff that we never really know where something as, is at until we measure it. And then we've, we've kind of broken through out, broken it out of the system. So all this stuff that we think of as real is just these particles of, of, of stuff that don't seem to have mass vibrating around. And it, and it only seems to exist when you make a direct observation of it by removing it from the system. On a subatomic level, it's like we're living in a simulation of reality. Like all the stuff we think of as real really isn't there. That it's only there because we have faith to believe that it's there. I mean, this is, this is quantum physics. And what we know as reality, when looked through the modern physics, you know, our level of understanding of it today, it seems more like something that somebody just dreamed up in their mind. That somebody just imagined into being. As if there is a, a program that was written to create the universe. You know, you look at a TV screen, the things you see on the TV screen aren't actually in your TV. It's just a picture. It's just electrons that are exciting the photosensitive material in your screen that make it look like there's something on your TV. But really, it's just a picture. And when you look at quantum physics, that's kind of what the universe looks like. That really, it's just a 3D picture of this existence that we're living in. And, and it's as if what is really real goes beyond what you can touch goes beyond what you can see with your eyes and hear with your ears and and 
and feel and smell that it's almost if what was really real goes beyond the things of this world to a level of reality that's deeper than what we know of as physical. Which could mean that if you had a connection with that deeper reality that goes beyond the world, if you could somehow connect yourself and interact with that non-physical programmer of the universe, then you could say to this mountain, move from here over to there, and it would take something as small as a mustard seed of faith to rewrite the code of the universe to make this mountain move from here to there. It's, it's really wild. I mean, it's, it's fun for me to, to, to do this investigation to think about, but it's truly amazing to think about the stuff we're made of. I mean, we are here. We're not imagining this. We're here. You and I are here because we're going by God's Word. God says we're here because He made us. But when you break down to the physics of the stuff that we're made of, it's kind of like the stuff we're made of is less than real. And modern science has really just brushed the surface of physics. There's so much stuff that we have no idea about why things work the way they do and how things work the way they do. There's so much we don't understand about the reality of our existence. It's mind-boggling to think that anybody could believe that this happened for no reason. That this was just random chance. Because there is order to it. And there is system to it. And there is there's reason behind all this stuff. There's, I mean, it makes sense when you measure it and you put it together. And there is purpose behind our being. And, and that, that we are here as a complete random mistake of quantum fluctuation just makes zero sense at all. And so continuing on, God said, let there be light. And it's like He laid down this matrix of, of this field of, of particles and, and energy that then He could put all the stuff we know of as real in this field. And in verse 6, it says, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate water from water. And so God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there's different theories about what this, because it says there's water above and water below and in between was the sky. Now we know the water below is like the, the seas and the rivers and the oceans, that kind of stuff. The water above, and there's a, water, a lot of water below the surface of the earth that God put there and, and some of it broke out in the flood. There's still a lot of water under the surface now. And the water above the sky, there's different ideas. Like some people have said it, there was a water canopy, like a frozen ice kind of canopy or, or a water vapor thing that was thick above the atmosphere that kind of blocked UV rays and and made the pressure on the earth stronger because if you measure pressures in, that were trapped in bubbles in, in fossils, there was, there's more pressure in the air you know, thousands of years ago than there is today. And so there's this theory that there's a water canopy. There's also a theory, really interesting theory, that talks about there being water at the edge of the universe. That not just a, a, a world canopy, which is possible, we, but that there was this theory of a water envelope that the whole universe is contained in and that there's that you know there's so much water in the universe we measure water all over the place it's it's amazing and of course that makes sense because the bible says that god started his create, creation with a foundation of this empty shapeless matrix that we just talked about 
that's amidst this watery depth, that God's Spirit floated over this watery depth. And we're like, okay, what is this water? Well, of course, we can't see the edge of the universe. It's too far away. We don't have any sort of telescopes that could measure that far. And, and, and so again, it's all just theory. But some really smart thinking has gone into this theory that there's this massive amount of water. Maybe 20 times the amount of water as all the stars and galaxies combined. You know, if you can measure the, all the stuff in the stars and the galaxies, that there's, that there's so much more water on the edge and that this water acts kind of like the springs around a trampoline. So that as God stretched out the heavens, this water acts as the gravitational stuff that pulls the, the universe out as he stretches it. And, you know, the, in Revelation, you know, all through the Bible, the, the scripture talks about God stretching out the heavens like a, like a curtain or like a tent. And then in the, in the, like in the end time stuff, like in Isaiah or in Revelation, it talks about God rolling up the heavens like a scroll. And so it's this really interesting thought that the sky and or maybe the whole universe itself is this stretched out stuff that God pulled and 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 it says if you if you stretch from our understanding of space and time and that kind of stuff if you stretch space you also stretch time and all the matter that's in there you stretched out out too so if God created this matrix and then he put the earth in it because that was the first body that he created. The first heavenly body was the earth. And so the earth was this little tiny gravity well amidst this stretching out universe. And, and that's verse 9. God said, Let there be water under the sky to be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. And called, God called the dry ground land and he gathered the waters. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. So the earth was this first body in there, and he and he kind of arranged things so there was water and land, so there's places for things to live. And and so the earth was this was the only point of gravity in an empty universe, like a steel marble on this trampoline that God is stretching out. And so it's got this one spot. And then all of a sudden, day four, God makes the sun and the moon and all the stars, and as God stretched the heavens, the edge of this you know water theory, the edge of the universe is gravitationally pulling the rest of the universe apart, and so all the stars are being pulled away. As the stars are being pulled away, the the light is trying to get back to us. And so God is gravitationally pulling the matter away from us, and light is trying to get back, and gravity is trying to get back, and time at the same is also riding along with that, trying to get back to us. And so it looks like in the span of a couple of days, God created the, the world. And then a couple of days later, He creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it looks like this stuff is billions of years old, when in reality, it's only a few thousand years old. And, and because stronger gravity, the stronger gravity is, the slower time goes. There's a, you can measure that. There's a cesium clock in Greenwich, England, that's on close to sea level, and there's a it's a nuclear clock, and there's a nuclear clock up on top of the mountain in Boulder, Colorado, and these clocks run at different speeds because the gravity in Greenwich is stronger than the gravity in Boulder because it's a little farther away from the center of the Earth. So these nuclear clocks are slightly off from each other because gravity affects how fast they tick. It's wild to think about. So the, if where all this gravity is at the edge of the universe, time has basically come to a standstill, and that's also complicated because the 
when you're you know when you're low, time goes slow. When you're high, time flies by. It, it's also not only just is gravity affected by it, but the faster you're moving, the slower your clock goes. So if you're in a spaceship going close to the speed of light, your time seems to go by a lot slower than people who are stationary, you know, back on Earth. And so if the edge of the universe is flying away really fast, that clock is going to look really slow compared to our clock on Earth. So it might look like it's billions of years old, when in reality it's just a few thousand years old. So that kind of explains why the universe looks like the way it does. If if you're a clock at the edge of the universe, it's going to look like it's standing still compared to a clock closer to the center of the universe. So even though all the clocks were started at the exact same time when God said, let there be, to someone at the center of the universe, it would seem like a whole lot more time had passed at the edge of the universe. It, I mean, it seems crazy to think about, but the all time is relative. And and when we have to adjust the clocks in, in the GPS satellites. It's all based on clocks. There's nuclear clocks inside all the GPS satellites that fly around the universe, around the, the world. And they coincide with the clock in your car or in your handheld GPS. And it says, depending on how much time it took to get from the different GPS satellites, that tells you where you are on the Earth. Well, they have to adjust these clocks because they're moving faster around the Earth, so they have to speed them up then. And because they're farther away from gravity, they have to change how fast the clocks tick in the satellites in order for us to be able to calculate our position on Earth correctly. Because if you made their clocks run the same speed as our clocks on Earth, then it'd all be off. So it sounds crazy, but it works. And that's, the, I mean, time is relative and it works. Scientific, there's this Pioneer anomaly. If you've heard of the Pioneer spacecraft, it's a satellite that they launched. It was like one of the first things we launched away from Earth. And it's, it's kind of funny because it's got a box with, with naked people on it and a record. So if aliens find this spaceship, they're going to have to come up with a record player to play the record of a so anyway this this pioneer spacecraft is flying away from us it's about a hundred there's an astronomical unit is the distance from the sun to the earth and the pioneer spacecraft is about a hundred times that away from the sun so far and it's speeding about eight miles per second i mean it's it's really cruising but it's slowing down and the nasa expected it to slow down because gravity is the the sun and the solar system is kind of pulling it back a little bit to slow it down. But it's slowing down too much. And you know NASA, they're extremely accurate on their measurements. And they're saying, why is it that it shouldn't be slowing down this fast? So why is that happening? Well, there's this really smart scientist guy that's, that, who's a Christian who believes in God and believes in creation. And he says, well, obviously, if God stretched out the heavens as he's pulling the edge of the universe away and the, sp- and the spaceship is trying to go that direction, it's going to look like it's slow because he's, it, he's pulling away the matter and we're trying to get, as he's pulling it farther away, it's working against the, the motion of the universe. And so he says that's why the Pioneer spacecraft is slowing down faster than it should be because it's moving on space that's moving away. I mean, it's really interesting stuff. And, and so God started getting really detailed after that. I mean, we're just on, what, first day two now. And, and God started, before there was a sun, God started making plant life that would live off the sun. In fact, the Bible completely defies Darwinian evolution. Some people try to put evolution and the Bible together, but it's, it, 
the Bible says that earth came before the stars. Evolution says stars came and it formed all the stuff that made the planets and the people and all that stuff. And the, the Bible says that birds came before land animals. Evolution says land animals came and then birds evolved out of that. God's creation is diametrically opposed to evolution and current pop theory of how we got here. And, and even the, the plant life is, is amazingly complex. In verse 11, God said, Let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with the seed in it according to their kinds. It was so. He just said, let there be, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with the seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a third day. So there's this complex DNA code. All, all living things, animals, people, plants, they're all made by DNA. It's a code that tells our biological systems, this is how you work, this is how you reproduce, this is how you grow. And, and so it turns plants turn light waves from the sun into fuel that drives this amazing manufacturing system where the carbon in the air is converted into solid material, into plant cells, and, and, and it's mind-blowing how it works. But the plants not only grow through this system of pulling carbon out of the air to create physical carbon matter that they can turn into you know, solid plant material, not only do they do that, they also produce oxygen. They release oxygen as a byproduct, enough oxygen for an entire world to breathe. So that all of us, all the plants and all the, or all the animals and all the people have enough oxygen to breathe because God created the plants in order to release oxygen so that we could all be supported by that. And they have not only that, not only do they turn sunlight into energy and carbon in the air into plant matter and produce oxygen as a byproduct, they also have so much leftover energy after they do that that they store up all the extra energy as simple sugars, as you know, fructose that comes out of fruit. And there is enough of this stored energy in the form of sugar in plant matter to feed every animal and every person on the entire planet and still have leftovers in the fridge. I mean, God designed this amazing system that's not only efficient, it's over-efficient so that we have oxygen and we have food because God created the plants. And... and and we're out of time. This is going to have to be a two-parter because there's, there's just so much good stuff. But I want you to, I want you to think about, we've, we've made it through a, a few days here, and I could probably spend a whole lot more time dealing, you know, with the details of creation. And one of these days, I'd like to go through the whole book of Genesis. But for now, we'll put a pause on the creation week, and you can take a rest a few days early. And I would like you to think about why God made things the way He did. Why did God choose to build the system that He did? You know, He could have, if He wanted to, introduced us to the reality of heaven. He could have just made us all 100% spirit to begin with and nixed the physicality that we understand as the universe. Because He existed without it. So He could have made us to exist without it. So why did He do the things that He did the way He did it? Why, why did He give us an earthly existence? If there's one thing I learned, have learned, God does everything for a reason. He has a plan and a purpose behind the things that He does. God doesn't close His eyes and hope for the best. 
God knows what He's doing and why He's doing it. He does everything for a reason. So, and that's including creating us and creating us the way He created us and bringing us to life and, and telling us how we should live. This is how you should live, He said. So why is that? Why is it that God wants you to learn? What is it that God wants you to learn about why you are here? What are you meant to understand in this world? It's probably worth asking God Himself since He's the one who made you. So why don't you open your Bibles to the beginning this week and read some of what God has done and, and, and start reading and praying and asking God to reveal Himself to you. Why are you here? Why is the world the way it is? There, there is so much to learn from the Creator about this world. And, and in the meantime, remember this. Science is not the opposite of religion. That's pop nonsense. The word science simply means knowledge. And God is the source of all true knowledge. And, and God's Word is the repository of truth. You want real truth? You'll find it in this book. And, 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 and so you can get it from the source. So as you investigate and explore the world, as you pray to God looking for reason, you should in, and you should investigate. It's good that we, we explore the universe and, and look into the, what the world is made of and why it, it works the way it does. That's good to do. But as you do that, remember that all real science, all real knowledge, all truth comports with Scripture. And it makes sense when you look through Scripture why it exists the way it does. Because without an ultimate source of truth and reason, there would be no basis on which to understand reality. If the universe was random, nothing would make sense. Nothing would be able, we would, you wouldn't be able to measure things and your brain would be totally unreliable. There are, you could not ask, why are we here? If the universe was random. And you could not even begin to understand the world and the universe around us without having been placed in a stable and secure system of reality that allows you to reason and to think with logic and to, and to be able to ask questions and to test those questions and to be able to, to produce, you know, to experiment, produce results and to repeat those results over and over so you see the stability in the system. You couldn't do that unless God had made the things the way He made them. So I want you to think about why did God do that? Why are you here? And what does God want you to learn while you're here? There's a reason behind it, and we'll get to it next week. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much that You have created an ordered universe, a universe that makes sense, a world that, that we can count on things to go the same way tomorrow that they do today, that we can trust in You to be the same God today and yesterday and in the future, that You will always have the same character that You are love and that You are knowledge, that You are truth, that You are life, and that You are the light of the world. Jesus, we pray that You would help us to see this more and more, that the more we investigate the world and the universe around us, the more we would see Your fingerprints and that we could trust You more because of it. Help us to understand why we are here and what we are called to do and how we are called to live because of the wisdom that You put into creating us. Lord, help us to know You, to love You, and to live our lives the way You've called us to live because it is the only way to have true freedom and to have true life. And help everyone here to understand that, God. We love You. In Your name we pray. Amen.